We're going to begin a new chapter this morning in our Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. And uh, so take your Bibles open up there and uh, read along with me. It's a story that we're familiar with. It's the story of the parable of the tenants. And it goes like this. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and then went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And he took him and beat him. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. And he still had one other, a beloved son. And finally he sent him to him, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of that vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. Obviously, this is a continuing dialogue and interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees and the leaders and the scribes, right? And we've, we've seen all that coming together. We've already sang this morning that great song, Jesus is the Cornerstone, right? And this is going to work off of that this morning. So let's pray. And then we'll walk through this together. Father in heaven, thank you for Daniel being here this morning. Thanks for Ever Gospel Mission. Lord, a lot of us could be there if it wasn't for your grace and your love in our lives. And so we uh, appreciate the chance to reach out and uh, touch others the way you've touched us. But then, Lord, also we're coming and looking at tenants. And, and in the beginning, we may not think this really has anything to do with us. And yet, I think we're going to see that it does. And so as I walk through this, Lord, with the thoughts that I feel like you've prepared for me, I pray that you will uh, feel welcome, be the guest of honor. You'll go among us as a group and have uh, conversations, highlight things, reveal things, illuminate things for us. And we seek you for that in the power of your spirit. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's go through this again and... uh, And pull it apart. It says this, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower, and then leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Uh, So in this dialogue, as Jesus is doing this, the Pharisees and the leaders are going to instantly recognize the context of this parable. Because Jesus takes us directly from Isaiah chapter 5. And if you want, you can go later today and just look that up. But realize he's quoting to them scriptures they know very well. And it's a direct bullseye target to them and they know it. And so uh, they would instantly realize that this is a parable of judgment. And not only a parable of judgment, but a parable of judgment against them. This would have infuriated them. How dare you use Isaiah to flip the picture back on us as if we're the problem, right? 
They didn't think they were the problem. They thought Jesus was the problem. Kind of not too far off from today. They would have instantly been on high alert and on the defensive. So just, just know that as we're, as we're going through. Then, um, not many of us are, uh, have a vineyard, right, in, in our, on our prosperous property that we have here in the Northwest. It's like my house, it's a postage stamp, right? I have a lawn that's about 10 by 10. It takes me five minutes to mow it. Awesome. Hard to have a vineyard on that. But um, when you're talking about the, the vineyards uh, in Israel, this is a, a picture of a vineyard in Israel. And you can see when it's using this, it talks about a man who built a vineyard and he built a hedge around it. Thorns. You can see this. And then it says that he built a wine press and a tower. Here's a picture of a wine press and a tower. This is an actual picture of a wine press. Uh, if you go the old styles, if you uh, remember where they stomped on the grapes, and then this is one that they would have used in Israel back in the day. Uh, the tower here is not a tower from Israel. This is a tower in a vineyard uh, called Red Willow Vineyard over in Yakima. My cousin Frank runs a winery, and every once in a while I, I jump in the truck with them, and we bomb over there. And this is a chapel on top of the hill, uh, over at Red Willow, which is very similar to the type of towers uh, they would have had in Israel, only it would have been more circular than rectangular like this one, right? Uh, but this is an illustration of it and uh, what it looks like. I found an article in Biblical History that gives us some uh, insight and highlights into the importance of a tower because we like, okay, it's on the hill, cool, what's it good for, Right? Uh, so Proverbs 18.10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. That makes no sense to us. Because how do you run into a person? Right? That's what we're thinking. But in Israel, they would have known this instantly because in the vineyards, they would have all had towers. And they had the illustration very clearly in their mind of running to the tower when something became dangerous. Uh, a tower in a vineyard was practically mandatory because it provided uh, safety and uh, many answers for the pressing questions that were going on during the day while they were working the vineyard. Uh, and again, since none of us own a vineyard, um, let's set the stage for why this would be important. So for example, you're in a, a vineyard. If we go back to this one, you're in a vineyard. You can look. That's a lot of land to cover, right? Uh, where are my children? Well, climb up into the tower and look. Right? How is the harvest? Climb into the tower, check it out. Go and see. Where are the workers? Well, I can climb up in the tower and see where the workers are as well. Where shall I rest with some sense of protection? In the tower. Where shall I store our supplies? In the protection of the tower. Where can I collect my thoughts and pray? I can climb into the tower and I can pray. Where should my children go when bears enter the vineyard? To the tower. If intruders enter, where's the safest place for us to withstand them? The safest place in the vineyard was the vineyard high tower. Right? So suddenly you start to realize it wasn't just, it was a very practical tool that made a lot of imagery for them because they recognized it. For the ancients, the tower was a symbol of strength and visibility and protection. The Lord God himself is the fulfillment of that symbol. He offers himself to be the answer to our most anxious and pressing problems. Anybody have anxious and pressing problems? Right? 
Psalm 46.1 declares, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so the tower was a picture of the Lord himself, right? And that's why you have all these verses. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. And then it says, Selah. Pause. Consider that. So the key point in this parable is that it was the Lord's vineyard, not theirs. Remember, a man planted a vineyard, then went away to a far country. And this is a picture of the Lord himself. He had usurped the, these owners, these tenants, had usurped the owner, the Lord, and had appropriated it for themselves. They should have recognized Jesus as their strong tower, but they did not. And you can see it in the reaction when the owner tries to send some servants, some envoys, if you will, uh, in Scripture that would have been the prophets and messengers, to justly receive produce from the land. Their reaction, don't you dare come in here. It's not yours anymore. You left. We reject your efforts to take it back. And so what happens to the servants that they were sent? When they were sent? Well, they showed up, they received a warm reception, were graciously welcomed, and their message was eagerly listened to. Not. (laughs) Right? Let's take a look at this again. It says, And they they took him and they beat him, they sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent him another servant, and they struck him on the head. I did not realize the Cleveland Browns were in Scripture. Okay? Oh. You're listening. That's good. And treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. So Jesus here is talking, and you can see God pour his heart out. Now when you read some of these passages in the Old Testament, you can understand the anguish of God's heart as he was trying to win Israel back, and they just stubbornly and mule-headedly refused to respond. Look at... uh, Jeremiah, he says this, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds. Do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you'll dwell in the land that I gave you to your fathers. But you did not incline your ear or listen to me. So what does an owner do? Right? Think about if you were the owner in that position, what would you do? In this case, he tries one last attempt. He says he still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to him saying, they will respect my son. God has, if you will, one ace in the hole left. He's tried all his options. He's got one thing left that he thinks will work, a son. His beloved son, his only son. Surely they will respect my son. Now remember who this is to. This is to Israel, the chosen people who were the keepers of the promise that the Messiah would come, that they were eagerly waiting for. To send the son was the same as sending himself. Surely... They would understand and respect the authority and the ambassadorial power that the Son represented. 
But here's what they said. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. See, they saw it as getting rid of the last obstacle that was really in their way. I don't know if you can relate to that, but have you ever been in a place where God's not your friend, he's your enemy? Where God is the obstacle in your way? And if you can just get rid of his annoying, pestering voice, then you can go grab whatever it is that you want to go grab. And so he becomes an opponent. He becomes something you've got to juke around. He becomes something that you've got to not listen to. And it becomes a wall of adversary between you and him. That's where this thing is stuck. They are really set against him. By the way, this is a direct prophecy by Jesus of what would happen to him at the hands of these very leaders. They don't want Jesus to rule over them. They don't want God to rule over them. They want to be in charge. And by killing Jesus, they literally... This is important. They literally stay claim that they are in charge of and caretakers of the Jewish religion. We have been assigned. You do not have a right to speak to us. Think about that once. So then the question comes up, what will the owner of the vineyard do? And the answer is, that he will come and he will destroy the tenants and give the vineyard back to others. God will not share his glory with others. God is not going to just roll over. God is not just going to give away what is his. He will come back and claim it and those who are opposed to them will get wiped out. That's a clear message in scripture all over the place. Mark in this passage here has this this is verse 9 he has no response on the part of the leaders but if you go to Luke you find them saying uh, this in NIV it says surely not right and uh, New King James version says certainly not NASB I like this one they go may it never be right and the best of all is King James where it goes God forbid (laughs) they were like how are you going to pull this off? No way. They, they were really uh, set against. This is why, by the way, they had to accuse Jesus of being insane. Right? At moments like this, they had to flip this stuff out. It's, he's a, he's, it's the talk of a madman. He's flipping scriptures. It's, it's all out of whack. Why? Because they had to throw people off their trail. It was getting way too hot and way too close And Jesus was targeting them, and so they had to do something to blow it in a different direction. And so they just flipped it back on Jesus. Uh, Yeah, he does miracles, but he does them by Beelzebub. But Jesus comes back with this response, and he says this. Have you never read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We just sang that this morning. Beautiful song, right? Has become the cornerstone... This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Again, note how much Jesus uses Scripture to counter their objections. Right? Again, he's pulling from the Old Testament. Here he's quoting from Psalm 118. I don't know if you knew that was in Psalm 118, but you can go to Psalm 118 and see the whole context of it there. 
The whole thrust of Psalm 118 is that it is better to trust in in the Lord than it is in man. If you read Psalm 110, the psalmist is heavily attacked, but the Lord made him stand. And likewise here, Jesus is heavily attacked, but he's claiming to be the capstone or the cornerstone, the foundation of which everything that they had was built on he claiming to be the Messiah. But they didn't recognize it. They have rejected him, the son, the cornerstone, But God has established them in spite of their opposition and they know it. They are twitching with rage, but they dare not make a move. Why? Because of the fear of man. It says they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. Boy, that was perceptive, right? So they went and left him and went away. We're going to see in the coming weeks that this retreat was temporary. But I want to suggest this morning that this passage speaks directly to the context of our country. Just like Jerusalem and the temple, our country's been usurped and appropriated for ourselves. And we have told the Lord as a nation to get out and don't try coming back in. You're no longer welcome here. We don't think very much of you and we don't think very much of your son either. We have no need for that old stuff. We've long got past it. It has no claim on us and has no right to interfere with our sovereignty. God's reply is found in Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed saying... Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. And he said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he may not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled, and how blessed are all those who take refuge in him. That last line, how blessed are all those who take refuge in him, is a great encouragement to us who made Jesus our cornerstone, our strong tower, that to where we run to when we run into great trouble and anxiety. So the thought that I think is worth our attention this morning is this. Is Jesus your strong tower? Have you made him your strong tower? I know because we're here this morning, it would look like we have, and by the grace of Jesus, I sure hope that's true. Right? And for many of you, I know it is true, because I know you and I know your story, and I've walked with you for a long time, so I know it's true. But I don't know that for everyone. Is Jesus your strong tower? Is he your cornerstone? Another word would be, is he your foundation upon which everything else rests? The victory of the world, the tenants, will be vicious 
but very short-lived. The reign of the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus, will be glorious and eternal. And so have you made him your strong tower? It might be worth giving that thought. Jesus, are you the one that I'm going to run to and trust for my salvation? Am I going to actually call out to you and run to you and go in the tower? Or am I going to stand outside looking at it? Where am I going to be? The second question that comes out of this, I think, is uh, very pertinent for us. And that is, are you a steward or an owner? Are you a steward or an owner? Do you see yourself and the things that you've been given, and I use that word deliberately, as being a stewardship issue, or do you see yourself as an owner? They're yours, and you can do whatever you want with them, and nobody can take them from you because they're yours and you have a right to them. Or do you see it as a stewardship issue that you've been given certain things that for a time you are asked to manage and to manage well for the sake of the Lord. Doesn't seem like a big difference, but I want to suggest it really is. Let me throw some questions in here that might help us sort through that. Think through, think through your property right now. Think through your stuff. Think through your world, all right? Does the Lord have the right to give and to take away? We sure like the give side, right? But does he have a right to the take away side? Does the Lord, thinking against steward and owner, does the Lord have the right to say no to you? In your prayers, as you praying to him does he have the right to say no does he have the right to ask you to do something you don't want to do that's the old uh, no lord yes your lord but no I won't right see if you're an owner then you're like those tenants in the vineyard you're going to fight anybody or Everybody who comes and is a threat to your stuff, to your property, to what you own. That would include God himself. If you're a steward, then he most likely has the right to ask those questions and do those things. And I want to suggest this morning that we sometimes get on the wrong side of that equation. We are stewards. We have been given the things we've been given for a short period of time to manage them for the sake of the kingdom. And that kingdom is now and will be coming. It is both an and and a going to be. Right? The greater rolling out of it is going to be the eternal side of it. Let's be very careful not to make the mistake in holding on to our stuff to the level where we find ourselves fighting God also. It's, it's subtle. It's incremental. You don't notice it half the time. But that's why we emphasize 
Gratefulness and gratitude. I've said to you many times, a, a grateful church is a healthy church. One of the reasons a grateful church is a healthy church is a grateful church is not a hostile church. You ever notice it's hard to be grateful and hostile at the same time? Try it once. Thank you, Dean. Right? It doesn't work. It's just really awkward, right? It just You try to put those two things together. Be, try to be angry and grateful at the same time. It's just a weird experience. We often do that. Lord, thank you so much for, I think I'm happy, you know, right? I'll get there, you know, <laughs> kind of deal. But gratefulness is an expression of lordship. Gratefulness is an expression of you're the owner, I'm the steward. When it gets flipped around, all of a sudden we start to lose gratefulness. And suddenly we're not, God, you didn't answer my prayers the way you wanted to. And God, you didn't give me what I wanted. And God, you took that from me. How dare you? A lot of people today have this attitude of, God, if that's the way you treat your children, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with it. And, and we've gotten it all flipped around. We've gotten it all flipped around. And I think we know that, right? So coming into the holidays, coming into Thanksgiving, coming up in the Christmas season, it's all going to, right, it all busts out right now. Here we go. Right? It'll, it'll just blow by. This spirit of gratefulness, this spirit of stewardship is really important. Remember the things you've got. When you go out this morning, remember the car that you get into was given to you. You say, yeah, but I paid for it. Yes, because God gave you a career and gave you money and he put the food on your plate and the clothes on your back and you cooperated with him and therefore he's been very gracious and very good. But it comes from him. Remember that house that you drive to when you pull up? Wow, boy, Lord, I'm grateful for that house. But it's not as big as I want and it's not as nice as I want and it's not as fancy as I want and I want... Stop it, right? Gratefulness. Wow, I live in an incredible house. Most of us live in better houses than 95% of the world, right? And when you go to your job, boy, Lord, thanks for providing. Wow, as I look back, can any of you look back and see God's fingerprints all over that journey and career, right? In the present, it's not so clear, but boy, if you look back, you can see God did this, and then he did this, then he did this, and wow, here we are. Man, some of that was tough, God. Woo! I didn't think I'd make it through that part. But thank you that I did. See, the, the leaders had lost their gratefulness. The Jewish people were not, they're not known as a grateful people. They're known as an ornery, cantankerous group of people. Okay? And I want to suggest that part of the problem was they felt like it was theirs and they were the owners of it instead of they had forgotten they were children. They were his children. To the point when he showed up, they didn't even recognize him. Let's not make the same mistake during the holiday season where we're celebrating his coming. Let's not be fighting him at the same time to saying, no, you can't have it. All right, let's pray. Father, this is a target message. It goes after something. And as I went through, I realized many of us act like owners instead of tenants. We don't mean to, 
But uh, Lord, just the commercialization of our culture and what uh, all the um, what TV and the internet, you deserve this and you deserve that and you should have this and you should have that. And that's never enough and we're never satisfied. We're never grateful. That can affect us as believers too. It can creep in insidiously and we, we sometimes don't even realize that, but we just start getting ungrateful. Grateful for what you've done and grateful for what you do. Lord, one of the things that people notice in this culture is that uh, people with joy are a rare commodity. Lord, may we be good stewards and may your joy be in us over gratefulness, both for the good things and the hard things you bring our way. May we be good stewards. May we be careful stewards. And may you be our our cornerstone and our strong tower and the power to be able to pull that off. May we as a body make a difference during this holiday season, both corporately gathered together, but then also uh, individually and family-wise, atomized out into the community. Give us ways to show your joy and our gratefulness towards you. And we give that to you in your name. Amen.